Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, a trauma-informed spiritual mentor, certified meditation teacher, and human design expert. I'm empowering empaths three times a week in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. This is Season 5, Episode 26, How Highly Sensitive Empaths Can Live Empowered Through Human Design. You are more than enough right now. And gosh, just being yourself, leaning into who you are in this moment is such a gift to the world. You've been given such amazing talents and special, special abilities. Are you a HSB, highly sensitive person, or empath? Today in this episode with our guest, Jessica Mafleur, learn how you can tap into the power of human design to live empowered, to live an empowered life. This conversation, we will guide you and help you deepen your understanding of your sensitivities, maybe some childhood traumas or conditioning, and to help you reclaim the control back over your life through our discussion also about human design. Jesse Michelle Agadani is a natural sensitive guide and a restorative healer. Sensitive from birth, Jesse spent much of her life feeling different and out of place in the world. Her body struggled to handle the common human experience and she was often told she was too much. That's her manifestor energy. She repressed her sensitive nature to fit in and it quickly manifested into physical illness Over the past 15 years, Jessie dove deep into the healing world and slowly began to rebuild her body. It wasn't until she discovered Dr. Elaine Aaron's work on sensory processing sensitivity that she began to understand her unique self. Honoring her sensitivity became the focus that accelerated her healing journey. In 2018, she was introduced to human design and gained immense clarity as she is a 6'2 emotional manifester with a left angle cross of healing. You see, as I read that, I, and I know her just in this conversation, I'm like, yes, yeah, she is living according to her human design chart. And I know you may be confused about what I just said. 6'2 is her profile. So that's a role model hermit, which is just like me. Emotional is her inner authority. So she needs to wait her entire cycle to make the right decision. And manifester is her type. So she's to wait She is to wait for inspiration and just do it. And her incarnation cross is like her major life theme and is where you can find your purpose. So for her, her incarnation cross is a healing and she's really dove deep into understanding that her path is here to help others heal their body, healing her body and then being a role model to guide others into healing their body. She opened up a practice called Mafleur Wellness, where she now teaches sensitives how to rebuild their calm and resiliency to create sustainable health. She deeply believes that if all sensitives live in alignment with their sensitivity, the world will be as much more beautiful and peaceful place. Her purpose is to help sensitives cultivate success without succumbing to the constant overwhelm, anxiety, depression, autoimmunity, or any other body imbalance that could prevent them from having the impact that they are called to have in this world. And so without further ado, let's dive into this enthralling conversation. Hello, welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Oh, thank you for having me, Raven. (laughs) I am really, really excited for this conversation because already before pre-record, we're just like jamming and jiving on the same vibration. So I'm so excited to share your energy and your wisdom with the empaths listening. Hmm. So let's just like dive into this. The the pressing question is, as a sensitive, as an empath, what is holding us back? Like what is making us feel stuck and repressing our emotions? Oh my gosh. That's such a big question. <laughs> I love it. We're deep in already. It's my favorite. Yeah. We empaths don't like to talk shallow. We like to go directly into the heart of things. So I love it. Yeah. My Pisces is totally opposite of my son. So I'm bringing that out today. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. 
Yeah. So what is holding us back? What is causing us to repress emotions as sensitives? Man, I would say fear of rejection would be the number one thing that comes to mind because all of us, I think even as we put on the label of empath or sensitive, we can get even boxed in with that, right? So I want to acknowledge that every empath and every sensitive is unique, right? We all experience our sensitivity and our ability to step into other people's experiences differently. So I can only speak from my personal experience, and then I've also had the honor of working with sensitives over the last four years, so a lot of clinical data as well. But what I've seen time and time again is this experience of massive rejection for us just being us. And of course, that starts when we're just kiddos, right? When we're, honestly, I could even say as infants, when we're trying to express our needs and our parents are like, they don't know any different. They weren't trained in any of this, sweet souls. They had no idea what was happening. All the parents that were not sensitive and then were blessed with a sensitive child, it's like, holy cow. Um, Yeah. But they just tried to soothe us in any way they knew how from their toolbox, but oftentimes it wasn't the right fit. And so from, what is it, from zero to, there's debate in seven to 10, is when we imprint, is when we learn how we're meant to manage and process and express and experience our emotions. And so if during that time period, we were taught that how we naturally felt about something was wrong or false or too much, that's how we interpreted it. And so I think I've seen, and especially I've seen this in myself, that right away we as sensitives lose trust in ourselves. And so any emotion that comes forward, we don't believe it. And we quickly shove it down because we're like, we've been told this isn't real, right? Because if, if I'm feeling scared, by watching a movie and everyone else is like, this isn't scary. You're a baby. Or like I'm feeling really overwhelmed by just going to the grocery store by all the information I'm taking in, right? All of the data, all of the people and all of their emotions that I'm picking up on. Because as a child, you don't have any boundaries. You don't know unless you're taught by a very, very like aware uh, adult, which is so rare. And so you're just drowning in that. And so maybe you have, it looks like a meltdown in the middle of the grocery store and that's every parent's nightmare, right? So they're trying to like quiet you down and like, just be quiet. Like here, take this, this. And so you're taught that it's not okay, that what you're feeling is not normal. And so, like I said, you, you Mm -hmm. start to lose trust. And so you have to say I'm in that grocery store and I feel overwhelmed, but everyone else around me looks calm. So then I have to go, okay, I have to become calm. So what do I do with these emotions? I'm going to shove them. And this is kind of an energetic thing that I think some of us you might have a hard time processing, but it literally goes into our organs. But And, and I should say there's part of our brain too, the amygdala that stores it, right? And then right. – it literally translates into being stored into certain organ systems. And that's something I, I love talking about. But my little health nerd is peeking right now. <laughs> peeking out. I like that. Yeah. Which but- organs? I'm thinking, ooh, where? <laughs> and before she answers that question, let's go to a quick commercial break. Yeah. So I think the biggest one for us is anger because they're deep down underneath feeling misunderstood. It says anger that it's like, why can't I just be myself? And that goes straight to your liver gallbladder. So almost every sensitive that I work with has liver gallbladder congestion or backup Mm -hmm. or dysfunction. So we can talk about that. But I think just right off the bat, we don't know, we don't trust ourselves. And so we just take on what everyone else around us is doing. And as an adult, that can start to translate into people-pleasing, right? And we become, typically, we're the good child because we're just trying to fit in and not be rejected. Oh my God, I was telling my daughter that this morning. She's like, did you like fake being sick not to go to school? And I was like, no, I was a good child. Yeah. (laughs) In the back of my head, I'm like, I know why. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to be rejected. I didn't want to like- Yeah. You're constantly trying to like make up for- who you are because you don't feel like you're right, like there's something mm-hmm. off. And so we're constantly trying to like micromanage and like, yeah, there's so much. I, I talk a lot about the difference between like our natural, especially if, if anyone that's listening is aligns with the highly sensitive person 
uh, label. You can use it or not, but if you align with those traits, it's the sensory processing sensitivity trait that is something you're born with. I always like to differentiate between that and what I call developed sensitivity. Have you talked about that on your podcast oh, at all? Well, that was one of my questions is like, are mm-hmm. we born sensitive or is this something developed? So let's dive into that. Yes. So this is one of my most favorite topics because it's very misunderstood, typical, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So there's, and I'm speaking specifically, not every empath is necessarily a natural, what I call a natural sensitive or a highly sensitive person, only and only this, right? And no one else can tell you who you are. So don't ever let someone label you or reject a label for you. Like you get to decide this, right? But a highly sensitive person as Dr. Elaine Aaron, she's the originator of that that label, would describe and how what I would call a natural sensitive, because I like that term a little better, is someone that literally comes into the world, like in their mother's womb, they have developed this sensory processing sensitivity trait. It is not something that you can get rid of. It's not something that you can gain later. It is something you are born with. It's innate. Okay. So when you come into the world right off the bat, you're processing information differently. And that's literally what it is. It's not, it's not like on the autism scale or spectrum, which I think a lot of people get confused on that too, because of the terminology. But what it means is that you simply take in a lot more information. There's more nuance to it, but that's the basic general takeaway. So when I walk into a room, I'm a natural sensitive. I am picking up on all sorts of layers of things. I'm picking up on the energy of the room, the emotion of all the people standing around me. The the colors are more vibrant. I have a crazy sense of smell. Like there's just a lot there. I always describe it as I enter into like a 40 3D or excuse me, 45D, whereas most people are at the 3D, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And that doesn't make me better. This is just my unique skill set. Everyone else has their unique skill set. And we all are meant to come and bring our skill sets to create a beautiful, robust world. But my unique skill set or anyone else that is natural sensitive, their unique skill set is that ability to pick up on a lot of detail and information and then to process it really fast. So that is an innate gifting. Now, (laughs) there's something called in our world, especially in the health world, sensitivity is a word that's used often. So this is why I've had to really get nitty gritty about the differences because I work in the health world. So when we hear things like food sensitivities or you're sensitive to smell or you're emotionally sensitive, like that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a natural sensitive because anyone can gain those type of developed sensitivities because those can be based off of health imbalances. So anyone can get a congested liver and then be very, very attuned to certain smells. But as soon as they clear their liver, their smell capacity drops, not in a bad way, but it's not as heightened. It's not hyper, mm. it's not hyperactive. Where, let me give you another example. So the other side would be trauma, mm-hmm. right? Anyone can experience trauma and then develop sensitivities based off of that. There's a lot of talk right now about hypervigilance and just being in that state of extreme awareness of things, which can look very similar to being a natural sensitive if you're just looking at it from the outside. But once you heal your trauma, once you do some beautiful therapy like EMDR work or brain spotting or anything, there's so many great modalities out there now, right? Yes. You might lose that where you're like, oh, I'm not as like hypervigilant. I'm not as hyperactive. I'm not hyper responding to that anymore. That means that it was a developed sensitivity, right? Mm-hmm. And you you actually do want to clear that. That's important. That's yeah, because the of- hypervigilance like you're mentioning is typically not something where it's a gift that's going to help with no. processing information. It's like this is hypervigilant for survival under stress. So releasing exactly. that and clearing that is good for you. <laughs> yeah, the bottom line question to ask is, is, is this my authentic self? Is this my healthiest self? And it can be a bit muddled when you're both, and that's what I want to talk about, is if you're naturally sensitive, I describe it as like this is your foundation. And for those that are just listening, I'm using my hands right now. <laughs> She's drawing uh, the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> the bottom of the pyramid. And then on top of that, you have your developed sensitivity, right? So mm-hmm. I really think that everyone has developed sensitivity. So the question is underneath that, do you also have natural sensitivity? And the easiest way to answer that is 
when you ask if you have access to your parents and they have memories, do you remember being told or do you, do they remember you being really sensitive as an infant? That's a really easy way to kind of figure it out. And one of the things I've noticed is most sensitive children are typically labeled as colic. So if you had a lot of colic as a child. Oh my God. Horrible. Yeah, if you had a lot of <laughs> ear infections, mm-hmm. if you if you were constantly, I'm I'm talking about I'm I grew up in the eighty like the late eighties, so thinking yeah. of how doctors dealt with sensitive childs back then, yeah. children back then, it was like a lot of antibiotics, a lot of like let them cry it out, like so. Ask your parents, like, did I cry a lot? Did, did you have to like let me cry it out? Did you have to put me on antibiotics a lot? Did I just mm-hmm. like suddenly start losing it for no reason? Did I not – was I really shy? Like those are some mm. things that can come forward in a highly yeah, sensitive child. Negative connotations like do, labeled as a, having a temper. Mm, yes. Yeah. Mm. Did you have meltdowns a lot as, mm-hmm. as a toddler? That's a big one. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think in our generation they called them temper tantrums, not meltdowns. Yeah. Now in my generation, they were called – yeah. Well, my, my mom actually called them – she would she would describe it. Oh, Jesse's having another meltdown because I'd be that perfect, beautiful child. They're mm. like A-plus child and then I would yeah. melt down because I, yeah. I couldn't hold it any longer and then I just mm. basically exploded, yes. <laughs> just bawled for <laughs> hours and they were like, what is wrong with her? So like if you ask my mom, she would – to this day, she would say – oh, you were just such a happy child. And then you would have these random meltdowns. And I'm like, yes, mom, let me explain that. <laughs> That's called repression. <laughs> no, she, she's amazing. But she they didn't know. She didn't understand. She's not sensitive herself. So she didn't have that ability to step in to my right. shoes. But yeah, that's that's a big way to kind of differentiate the two. And, and as an adult, the beautiful thing is that we have the choice to become aware of the developed trauma and the developed sensitivities. And I think it's part of our journey to, over the years, gently clear that, that top layer. And then what's cool is you get to know your natural sensitivity. Like when I work with clients and we do a lot of like, I do a lot of like toxin clearing, like mycotoxin, if you've been exposed to mold, I do a lot of gut healing, like deep gut resets. I do a lot of really deep work, typical, right? Sensitive. We're like, we're not going shallow. We're going deep. And so clients come to me knowing they're sensitive. But once we clear some of these big blocks, because like, for example, your gut microbiome really dictates your mood and your perspective. And we reset that. And maybe we use some, like I do nutritional brain therapy too. So like we we reset there on your transmitters. And they're like, oh my gosh, like the world is so much brighter. I feel my capacity so much greater. Then they're like, oh wait, that that thing that I thought was my sensitivity is gone. And I've had some people even realize like, maybe I'm not naturally sensitive because I actually feel really great now. And then it's like, that's wonderful. That means you just had developed sensitivity and now you're you're good to go. There's no right or wrong. You don't have to be sensitive. It doesn't make you better or worse, right? But then right. for my ones that are, they clear it and they're like, yeah, no, I still, interesting, this sensitivity stayed where this one left. Okay, so that was a developed sensitivity where this is my natural authentic sensitivity because every sensitive is different, right? So you may be naturally sensitive in one particular way where your friend who's also naturally sensitive, it expresses in another way, which is really cool. So it's a fun yeah. journey, but it can be a bit murky until you kind of clear some of the layers to know who you really are. <laughs> yes. I mean, you've got your whole childhood conditioning. You have mm-hmm. school, friends, society. Oh, God, yeah. God, and then mm-hmm. if you meet a toxic person and you fall in love with them, let's say they're a narcissist, then you have all that mm-hmm. repressed emotion and you're holding it all in your gut. I remember mm-hmm. not being able to eat towards the end, like anything, I started to develop all of these different mm-hmm. allergies or yeah, you would say sensitivities, mm-hmm. removing all of these things from my diet. And I went to a nutritionist. She said, well, you're not eating anything. Like all I was eating was salad. <laughs> She's like, you need to eat more. And I was like, but I can't because yeah. it was that gut yeah. imbalance. Yeah. You, you created what I call the everything free diet because it's so popular now to just like do a test for sensitivities and then you remove all of them. But the problem is if you don't heal 
if you don't clear the pathogens in the gut and heal the gut lining, then the new food that you bring in to replace it just becomes your new sensitivities because the issue is that permeable lining, which Mm -hmm. the trendy term for that is leaky gut, right? So your immune system just starts to react to really anything that you eat and then you can't eat anything. (laughs) People come to me like, Jess, I literally can't eat anything. I'm like, I know, like we're going to, we're going to fix that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, little tip for anyone listening, do not eliminate food from your diet without a plan to heal and seal the gut because then you're just going to cause more issues and it's just going to, you're going to end up like Raven, not be able to eat anything but lettuce. Yeah, I was like a rabbit. Oh, honey, <laughs> I was yeah. wondering why I had IBS. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. rat and I was an situational alcoholic. So it was alcohol mm. and lettuce. And oh my gosh, if yeah. I, if when I was really hungry, I would eat something with bread, but then I would suffer after. Yeah. Yeah. But you needed that bread because your adrenals were probably so drained. Yeah. I was craving it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like sensitives uh, have to eat a little bit differently. Well, I should say we we have to live differently, right? That's like the umbrella. And then under that, like we're we're called – like we actually need carbohydrates. I know like keto and on fasting and these are all really trendy right now. And I'm, I'm the one lone voice being like, don't do it. <laughs> You're sensitive. But there's, yeah, there's, there's so much uh, about how our bodies function as sensitives that is different. And, and not that we can't do things that others do, but we have a fil- we need to have a filter that we look through and that we go, okay, I hear that. Thank you for that information. Now I'm going to maybe experiment with myself, but be honest about how my body's responding. And for example, I, I'm I, intermittent fasting is like huge right now, right? It's been huge for a couple years, and mm-hmm. and especially for female sensitives, it can be really damaging to the hormones. If you're menopausal, it's a little different, but if you're a cycling female sensitive, it can just wreck you. But people are just like, no, I'm waiting for it to work. I'm waiting for it to work. Oh, I lost those first five, 10 pounds and then I'm going to like stay on it. But it doesn't, it just starts depleting the body so massively. And then the liver gallbladder that's already overloaded because you're a sensitive, then you can't process your fats. And that's all that it's just, there's so much stuff that comes forward. So. Oh, wow. I know. And there's just too much to it. So I'm, I'm a Virgo. I'm very much health conscious. Mm, But I had to find because that was something of a pain point that the narcissist did on me. Like you have to always be this weight. You need to be super skinny, like Mm. good women only eat salads and all this thing. When Mm. I left, I was like, Costco hot dogs every day. Here I come. Like, just give it it. to me. Give it to me. Like, and I've just balanced it out now where I just eat whatever I want in moderation. I just, whatever my intuitive senses feels like I need, I eat and I don't feel guilty about it, but that's taken like 12 years to get there. Well, yeah, because you had to move through all that programming and reset it and your nervous system, even even if once in your mind it's not true, your nervous system still doesn't trust it. And then so there's rebuilding at the multiple layers. Yeah, man. Mm. What is your – do you mind me asking what your human design is real quick? Yeah, pure generator. Okay. And then do your variables, like do what your digestion is? Let me think. Let me think. I, I can remember my husband's. I'm trying to, I can't remember mine. What is what your arrows are on your chart? I'd have to re-pull them back up. I know for sure I'm an observer, right? The arrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Should we pull it up? Would that be helpful yeah. for people? Okay. Yeah. Let's Let pull it up. Pull if, you, up. if you can pull one up where you can see your arrows at the top, I can help you figure out your digestion a little bit. Or if you've ever, have you heard of Jenna Zoe? And that's huge because that's such a big way to know. I use that with all my clients. There's many different forms of digestion. Some people uh, need to eat in in light, bright settings. Some people need to eat actually more at night. Some people, I'm what's known as open. And so for me, it's really important to eat seasonally and to eat what tastes good to me and to be very like predictable about my food. So diversity is actually not good for me. Everyone's a little different. So it's a really beautiful insight for anyone that's trying to navigate their own health. This helps you digest your food best. So kind of regardless of what you're eating, this is going to help you break it down, which I'm such a fan of that. Like you always want to focus on digestion before you change your diet because it really – you could eat 
a, a paper plate or a piece of fruit. <laughs> and if you're not digesting, it almost doesn't matter. So it's important to enhance digestion. And then from there, you can enhance the diet. So yeah. But if I'm you- just pulling it up because I couldn't find my chart on my computer. No worries. Yeah. But I know my birth information like the back of my hand. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and I can send you the link too. Did you find it? I found it. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So what my arrows, which arrow is my digestion? So hers will actually be just scroll down to the bottom right mm -hmm. and it'll actually oh, tell hot. you That's what your right. digestion is. Hot oh, food. you're hot. hot okay. So yeah. I've been craving soup. Like I always love soup. That's like always my mission mm -hmm. to eat soup. And I'm married to an Asian, so that's perfect. Because you always eat flour. That's or perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, even like lukewarm is is okay, but you don't ever you don't really want to be bringing in colds. And and it's not meant to be so limited. Like you can never have ice cream or something. But but you just know like like the way I would interpret that is if I was going to have some ice cream and I had hot digestion, I would make sure I took a lot of enzymes with it or something just to kind of I it's the awareness of okay, this is a little bit more challenging for my my body to break down. Doesn't mean I can't have it but I'm just going to support my body in the process of it. But on the whole, like maybe like 75% of my diet is going to be warm to hot food. So even in the yeah. summer. <laughs> for a hot latte with <clears throat> with whipped cream versus ice cream, I would choose that over the ice Perfect. cream intuitively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's that's so wonderful. So having that insight for anyone that's listening, it's a really easy thing to do. I'm a big fan of Jenna Zoe. I actually trained through her program for human design. But she really breaks it down and makes it less complicated because human design can get really nitty gritty, yes. <laughs> yeah. which I love that about it, but it is a lot. So she makes it really simple. She also has an app that's like fantastic. So it's myhumandesign.com. I'm just – anytime I can talk about her work, I do. But yeah, mm -hmm. that way you can find out your dig digestion and so much more too as well, obviously, with human design. But yes. That's a fun little rabbit trail. Oh, I love that. I love that <laughs> rabbit trail. Thank you for that. That's going to be a great tool for everyone listening. Yeah. And going back to programming, we talked about the programming mm. and how that wrecked my brain and then my nervous system and having to take this digestion journey of, I would say probably evened out around 10 years. So just everyone have mm. hope. It's not going to happen right away. What is your, what is your story? Let's backtrack into that. And oh gosh, do you have yeah. some experience about maybe emotional suppression or narcissists in your life? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, doesn't do. every sensitive <laughs> at this point? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, let me begin from the beginning, beginning. Yeah. So I always like to kind of talk about just coming into the world because I personally have come to believe that we, our free will starts even before we enter into the womb. So I've come into the acceptance that I chose my parents and my precious parents are the most lively, playful people. They're young spirits and I am an old, old spirit. <laughs> like I'm an 85 year old woman in my 34 year old body. It's, it's old. So I came into their lives, I think, to learn a lot and to also learn how to be lighter and more playful. But right off the bat, I was a surprise. And so when I came into their lives, my mom was really young. My dad was, they were both in their 20s, which now we would consider that young. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, maybe not so much, but but they hadn't really experienced much of life. And so I, I was their first big responsibility, I would say. And I was a challenge to them. And so it's it's been a journey because my first zero to eight years were really challenging. They had a lot of stress in their lives and I took that on right off the bat, especially as an old soul. I really, even I think in the womb, my parents were under a lot of stress and they're both really, to speak human design, they're both manifestors, Ooh. which I am too. So oh this is gosh, super rare. Really rare, all three of you. All three of us, and for anyone listening that knows anything about manifestors, we're strong spirits. <laughs> yeah. So to have like two fire. manifestors, yeah, yeah. So like think astrology-wise, like really intense Aries type energy, yeah, which I am an Aries. So the two of them were had a lot of uh, strong personality, and so when they were first married, it was a bit tough. 
and I was in the womb during that time. Mm. So I really, I think, took in a lot of that. So my parents were really strong spirits and I really absorbed that in the womb, I feel. And so when I came out, I right away, I was a crying baby. My parents always talked about how I would scream, like scream. Mm. And so that also was imprinted on me of my parents talking about how I was a really challenging baby, right? So that's fun. But right (laughs) away, like whether they meant to or not, I received the message that I was a burden, that Mm. I was too much. And so I shoved everything down. And like I said, my mom to this day would describe me as like, a really happy child that had these random meltdowns. And mm. as a young kid, I lived in constant fear of disappointing. And so I was always, always trying to be good. When elementary school was like, I had to get the best grades. I had to be the teacher's pet. Like every adult had to adore me. And if they didn't, I was emotionally wrecked, like crying thinking the world was coming to an oh my end. Gosh. I can relate. Anyone else listening can relate. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I And growing up, I did a lot of theater. So basically mm-hmm. my whole from like eight to 18, I did theater. And as much as that was a beautiful experience and that I'm very obviously comfortable talking and being in front of people and stuff, the audition process really wrecked me because mm-hmm. my parents, I think there's a lot in their own lives. They had a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma themselves. And so they were very kind of critical naturally. And so I, again, trying to be perfect and then having criticism met in a situation like an audition where you're being judged, I would just lose it. I'd go into what I call sensitive stage fright. It's a term I've made up (laughs) (laughs) because I literally would lose access to anything and everything. So this happened even in school. Anytime I was being judged or critiqued, whether it was knowledge that I had or my own natural gifting of singing or acting, whether it was having to remember something I'd memorized, I would know it perfectly five minutes before and then lose full access. It's like I lost the key to my mind. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. And it was such a challenge. I always joke that it's like I know it's there, but I just like can't unlock the door. And it was maddening because I I knew I, I had it, but I couldn't access it. So that was a big part of it. And then I would immediately feel like a failure on all these things. So growing up, it was a lot of just feeling like I wasn't enough. I wasn't enough. And there was, I haven't really talked about this much, but my mom and I had a really close relationship and it was unhealthy because she had a lot of trauma and I was a sensitive that was would do anything and everything to be loved and accepted. And so- she, again, not knowing what she was doing, basically made me appear and mm. started treating me like a friend. And I took on the responsibility of my mom's life, took on the responsibility of my parents' marriage, took on the responsibility of our family's everything. And again, my mom's not an empath. My dad's, I think, is. <laughs> but my <laughs> mom is not. So she had no conscious awareness of my ability to absorb everything. So I'm now – I used to be very angry at her, but now I'm at the point where I can see that she didn't have any – she just didn't know what she was doing. But I fully merged with her is the term I use. And Mm. there was massive codependence. And I literally – like if she was even the slightest bit sad, I was deeply sad. I magnified her emotions and Mm -hmm. I had to fix it. Like I, So I would perform or I'd play music or I'd sing for her or I'd dance or I'd tell her that something amazing happened or I'd go and do something or I'd – and she, of course, she loved it, right? Because who doesn't love someone that can feel every little bit that's off with you and can make you feel better? And so I think we developed this kind of unhealthy, addictive relationship Mm. where – and I – I don't know if my mom would identify and she probably would not want to receive the term narcissist, but I think we created that kind of relationship where I was going to say, you don't even have to be diagnosed with it. That just sounds Mm -mm. like a dynamic of what happens. Sometimes the person in your life may not be NPD, but they certainly are emotionally crippled to the point where you just develop that addictive codependent relationship. Yes, exactly. And I think one thing too, I I used to like use that term liberally, but I've started to realize that I think it's being used too much. And so now I don't 
I don't label anyone with that unless they choose to receive the label themselves. But mm. I do, you know, there was a relationship there that was very unhealthy. And I was very much too dependent on her emotional status. Like that determined my value. Mm-hmm. And so we eventually came apart when I was in probably like 15 when I started to drive and I started to have some independence and I started really getting to spend time with other families. She started panicking because she was losing me, or at least I should say losing the old me. Yeah. And I was starting to realize, oh, I'm a separate person. I have like other dreams and ideas of the world that are different. Like we don't see everything the same way. And it was both exciting and terrifying. And also it was there's a lot of grief involved because my mom didn't know how to process that. And she she received it as rejection. And then so she turned around and rejected me. Mm-hmm. And so I received it as this intense like if you aren't who I want you to be, then I reject you, which she may or may not have meant to do that. But that's how I interpreted it. And so I immediately took that as like, oh, if I'm not exactly who people want me to be, they're going to reject me. And that became a huge program that I then took forward into my adult life, right? Mm -hmm. And that is case in point, people pleasing. <laughs> yes, we all relate to that. <laughs> so the rest of my my teens and 20s and early 30s were all spent like just managing everyone's expectations of me. And just if I felt even the slightest bit that someone was disappointed with me, I like cleared everything from my life and just zeroed in and focused on them and gave them my everything to the point of my own health detriment. But until they were like good again. And then it was like, okay, I could relax, right? Like there's just this intense, like I must be accepted and I can't ever do anything wrong. Mm. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. In your chart, is your solar plexus is open or defined? It's defined. Interesting. I I always like to ask that question because this is certainly an an issue and an easy problem for open solar plexus. But this sounds like a conditioned sensitivity versus the natural innate. Yes. Okay. Yes. And this is a little like, I don't know why the word came to me, quibble. I don't even know if that's a real <laughs> world. I make up words all the time, I so I have to double word. check. But when we talk about like a lot of people in human design assume that if a center is defined, that it means that you're not sensitive or if it's open, you are sensitive. And I actually have some thoughts on that because If you're a natural sensitive, you're sensitive all across the board. And so I would say even on your human design chart, I don't know. I'm still – this is not a concise conclusion. (laughs) This is in process. But I don't feel like I've been able to determine quite yet through human design like where natural sensitivity shows up because I've, Mm. I've had access to so many sensitives and it's just not clear. But I would say for me, even though my solar plexus is defined, I'm open in my spleen. And the spleen Ooh, carries a yeah. lot of emotion, specifically fear. Mm-hmm. So what I've come to realize I've since learning that, I've really observed like, okay, what is it that I'm picking up from other people as an empath? Okay, so it's not necessarily like, you know, the solar plexus is general emotion. I pick up on people's fears a ton. Mm-hmm. I pick up on people's thoughts because my mind is open. I pick up on people's opinions because my anja is open. I pick up on people's intensity and drive because my root is open. I pick up on just this, like all, like I'm open everywhere else basically. (laughs) So I pick up on all of that from other people. So I think too with Mm -hmm. empaths, we assume that it's just emotion we're picking up, but we're not. We're picking up on anything that we could step into. And so for me, I do have a little bit more of a strong awareness of my emotion in my authenticity, right? Because human design shows you your true authentic self in that chart. So you're Mm -hmm. right. I do have a layer of condition or developed sensitivity based off my relationship with my mom and other people in my life that has caused that to cause me to look like an open solar plexus. So as I clear that, I will be less attuned to that or less, it'll affect me less dramatically but I'm still very open specifically in the emotion of fear and then Mm -hmm. all the thoughts and opinions. So it's interesting to kind of be able to – these are very nuanced observations. I know, right. I feel like this is like human design advanced, but 
but yeah. it's it's really interesting because that is the thing. I always get stuck up on like the boxes of, oh, you're an open solar yeah. plexus or you're yeah. a defined solar plexus, but you're right. It's mm-hmm. like, what else is what at else play? Is yeah. Uh-huh. What else is open? And then the conditioning, you can still condition a defined center. Yeah. It's not like a exactly. defined center is defiant. I mean, sometimes yeah. they can be, but not always. Yeah. And I, so for anyone that has a defined solar plexus that maybe has been in the human design world and been confused because they're like, wait, does that mean I'm not an empath or does that mean I'm not a sensitive? No, that's baloney. Like if you, if you are picking up on stuff like you, that's it. Like only you can really know you. Now, what it may mean is that as you heal, you may notice that you're not as like sensitive to all the emotions. It may be like something specific, like with me, like fear, or you're like, gosh, I mm-hmm. can just always tell when someone has an opinion and I know what their opinion is. <laughs> like I'm very <laughs> sensitive to like getting easily persuaded or I receive other people's ideas all the time and I think they're mine, but they're actually someone else's. And like, so it, it'll show up in different ways, but I think that's a perfect example of like how our world is always trying to box us in. Mm-hmm. And even with systems, like no system is perfect too. So use it in a way that helps you. And if you find that it's trapping you, like for me, my energy is a manifester. And when I found that out, I was like, honestly, I was horrified. (laughs) I was like, wait, manifestors are supposed to be these like terrible people. That's like Hitler and whatever. But then I found out like, oh, well, that's in unhealth. That's but They always have to showcase just like everything. The negative always gets way more news speed than positive people. But still, I was – and also when I found out I was an Aries, I was like, what are these intense energies? Like I don't relate to this at all. But it's (laughs) – you always have to dig into the systems too because I'm I'm a 6'2 emotional manny and I'm super open mm. and I have my my cross is all about healing and so I actually have right. a very projector vibe to me which is interesting. And yeah, you do. And 6'2 is role model hermit for everyone who yes. doesn't know what 6'2 means. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So like teacher introvert, introverted teacher. Yeah, that's me too. <laughs> I'm a 6'2. Oh, you're a 6'2. I love it. Yeah. 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 So it's, and even with the Aries, it's like, oh, but I have like Mercury and Pisces. And like, I've, there's so many other layers that you're like, oh, and my rising's Capricorn. And so it's a very muted Aries. And so you just can't take things and be like, oh my gosh, like, like let it ride, learn more about the system. And again, if you don't like it and it doesn't bring forward your best self, then just dump it or just release the part of it that doesn't feel like it fits and and bring in the other things. It's, it's all meant to be helpful, not a hindrance. Yes. We don't want to – even the label of empath or sensitive, like if if that's trapping you, release it. Like let it go. And then when it feels good, you can bring it back in. Like I play with it all the time. So don't feel like you have to fit into these things. Like they're just meant to be supportive, right? I love that. Yeah. That's the thing is don't let it box you in and don't Mm -hmm. box other people in because you think them based off of their system. (laughs) So tempting. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. It's so hard. calling people narcissists when they're not diagnosed. Yeah, totally. Every time the answer always is, it doesn't matter what they are. If they're mm-hmm. mentally diagnosed or not, mm-hmm. if they're not treating you right, if they're manipulating you, if you don't feel good around them, then Get they out. shouldn't be around you. Yeah. Yep. Put up a boundary. It doesn't matter what they are. <laughs> exactly. My husband exactly. was just joking last night. He was like, what? When I was younger, they were just called assholes. <laughs> now people are calling them narcissists. I love it. Who cares what they're called? Let's return. Let's return to asshole. I like that better. <laughs> Narcissist is too clinical. Like it's just now nah, they're just an asshole. It no, is. they're just yeah. It's it's so. I think and I think too sometimes like when a label becomes big, whether it is empath or sensitive or narcissist, like it there's people that then get upset. We're like, we're using it too liberally and it has to be this specific measure. Like it just doesn't matter. Like (laughs) use it to help you if, especially when you're in that healing journey where I find that labels are really helpful when you need to like get out of something, right? When when you're in that point of crux where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm waking up and I'm realizing. And sometimes you get a little aggressive about it. Yeah. Like I did last year. (laughs) You were listening to the podcast. And, and that, <laughs> but that's a part of the healing process. Yeah. And when I, when I see that in myself, because I still absolutely do it, when I see that in others, I have I now have this awareness of like, oh, they're oh, they're awakening. Okay. Then they're gonna kind of like 
go to the, it's like one extreme to the other. Like in order to get out of one extreme of dependency, you have to go to the other extreme of massive independence, right? And yeah. and that takes sometimes a lot of rebelling. And then you eventually come into the middle because I personally think the middle is where health is, right? And so you you mm-hmm. sometimes swing that pendulum a couple times <laughs> yeah. and then you eventually get a little closer to the center. And that happens for every single layer. So say you did that for one part of who you are. It doesn't mean you're not still going to do it again for another part of who you are, right? <laughs> yes. So just give grace to yourself. And I think the more awareness you have, you're like, oh, I'm being really extreme about this right now. Like for me, I start to use a lot of like never and only. Like I use these really intense words. My husband's so sweet. He yeah. always calls me out on it. He's like, never, huh? That never <laughs> happens. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But that's when I know like, okay, I'm being extreme about this right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that's sometimes you need that because it, especially as sensitives, we don't have a lot of self-confidence in the beginning and we need that like, arr, like that grit to like get ourselves out of these situations. Yeah. So- <laughs> you eventually come into that grounded place of, of ease and peace, which is ultimately what we want. But yeah, yes. sometimes we get a little extreme. And I've, I've seen that with myself. I've seen it in family members. I've seen it in friends. I've seen it in clients. I've watched it in clients, which is really fun because then you're like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. You be really into that right now. And then I'll see you in six months and it'll be here. But it's like, yes. it's so important to not clamp down on that because if someone, if you push back on someone that's in an extreme situation, I found me too, they'll just make a stronger stance and it'll take longer for them to get to balance. So just like Mm -hmm. listen. If someone's in that extreme stance, just listen, let them talk it out, let them verbalize because that's helping them process. And even maybe by the end of that conversation, they'll have arrived at balance. Yes. (laughs) Just by getting it out. Yeah. I love that. That's that you made it just pretty much describe the whole healing process. (laughs) We have one guest, Dr. Debbie Silber recently talking Mm. about she has these different stages of healing from post-betrayal. And that's exactly Mm. what you're describing. Like to get unstuck, to get from three to four, you have to gird your loins and like be like a warrior and be like, screw everybody, charge, (laughs) getting out of here. And then you swing and you soften and you discover new things. And stage Mm -hmm. four and stage five is kind of, I feel like what you're describing where we're at, where it's like, Call them what you will. Call them an asshole. Doesn't matter to me. They're not in my life anymore. <laughs> or I've yeah, put up exactly. boundaries and now they don't get to do this in my yeah. life anymore. Just being mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Who you are in this yeah. moment. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could talk for hours. And this has been so, just such a wealth of information. Special, special abilities Let me make that sure are needed more than ever. All and the things so we talked about that. Healing and all of that is just allowing is you to Is there one last and a, life a affirming advice that you can world. give a empath slash highly sensitive person. Oh my gosh. One thing. There's so many things. You are enough. You are enough just as you are today. You don't need to heal anymore. You don't need to fix anything. You don't need to become someone. You are exactly who you need to be right now in this moment and that is acceptable that is actually glorious and yes there's going to be years and and layers of healing that come forward naturally whether you pursue them or not but you're not a better person you don't have more value just because you're more healed like your value stays the same from when you first came into this world to today to when you die and so this healing work that we've been talking about, whether it's body, emotional, all the things, those are bonuses. And it's really about being able to enjoy this life on this earth more wholly, more authentically. Um, it's not about improving or enhancing your value. And I think that's really important to remember because it's easy to get caught up in all the spirituality and all of the the gut healing and all of that stuff and to forget because we never want to be pursuing all of that from a place of feeling inadequate. You are more than enough right now. And gosh, just being yourself, leaning into who you are in this moment is such a gift to the world. You've been given such amazing talents and special, special abilities that are needed more than ever. And so 
healing and all of that is just allowing you to be a better and a, a greater impact on this world, but your value doesn't shift. You could sit on a couch and do nothing with your life and your value will stay the same. So just remember mm-hmm. that. That's the biggest thing. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's so empowering. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Raven. This Thanks is such a treat. Being here. Yes. <laughs> Where can people connect with you and dive a little deeper? Yeah. So airflarewellness.com is my website. It's M-E-R-F-L-E-U-R Wellness. And on Instagram, I'm Mirflair Wellness as well. And yeah, I you can connect with me on either of those places. I, as typical manifester, I'm on Instagram in big spurges and then I come off because I'm over it. So <laughs> <laughs> if you get on there and I haven't done much, just wait. Or it's, yeah, you can go to my website. I have a lot of information there. I have my biggest thing that I've created last year was my method. It's called the Authentic Calm Method. And it's basically what I do with one-on-one clients packaged up into a little system, not a little system, a big system, but Mm. there's three layers to it. And it, all that it's doing is empowering you to heal yourself and to return to who you're always meant to be. There's a bit of human design in there. There's a lot of nutrition in there. There's a lot of just body awareness and so many tools. So if you're interested in that, if you like what I've been talking about here, like everything that I am is in that. (laughs) So Mm. you can check it out. But yeah, that's, that's my little, my project and my, my resource. So yeah, if you need any support, that's a great place to go. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. And thank you for being such an amazing guest. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you want personal help in gaining clarity, your authentic power back and healing to be rid of the narcissist for good, Join our empath community and receive Sparkle Reminder inspiration every Saturday and strategies to heal from narcissist abuse. Plus, get your free human design chart summary and free 20-minute support call with me. As soon as you're in, I'll gift you your human design reading with your type, strategy, and inner authority. So join now and get your reading within 24 hours. I hope that this information was helpful and useful to you to live NARG free. Make sure if you enjoyed this episode, click follow and subscribe to this podcast to receive more human design and narcissist abuse recovery education in your feed. Take a screenshot and share it to your socials and tag me at Raven Scott Show and rate and review. And remember, always keep your unique light shining. Something that'll give you relief There's something that'll have what you need What you need We're broken, it's tragic We're not all elastic But maybe this-